The conversation about Jesus' suffering and death is enclosed in a dazzling foreshadowing of the resurrection. God affirms Jesus' identity, the disciples are stunned speechless, and Jesus resumes his mission with a demonstration of his power over evil. The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the ninth chapter. Now about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which was about to accomplish at Ju which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and in those days told no one any of the things they had seen. On the next day, when they had come down from the mountain, a great crowd met him. Just then a man from the crowd shouted, Teacher! I beg you, look to look at my son. He is my only child. Suddenly a spirit seizes him, and all at once he shrieks. It convulses him until he foams at the mouth. It mauls him and will scarcely leave him. I begged your disciples to cast it out, but they could not. Jesus answered, You faithless and perverse generation, how much longer must I be with you and bear with you? Bring your son here. While he was coming, the demon dashed him to the ground in convulsions. But Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, healed the boy, and gave him back to his father. And all were astounded at the greatness of God. The Gospel of our Lord. Once when Jesus was praying alone with only the disciples near him, he asked them, Who do the crowds say that I am? They answered, John the Baptist, but others Elijah, and still others that one of the ancient prophets has arisen. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered, The Messiah of God. Jesus sternly ordered and commanded them not to tell anyone, saying, The Son of Man must undergo great suffering, and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. Then he said to them all, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves, and take up their cross daily, and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will save it. What does it profit them if they gain the whole world, but lose or forfeit themselves? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words of them the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. But truly I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. 
About eight days after these sayings, Jesus went up a mountain with Peter, John, and James to pray. In Luke's Gospel, prayer is followed by some event or action. You can go back to Jesus choosing the twelve in chapter 6 after spending the night in prayer. In Luke, prayer often means we're about to get some divine revelation. Go back to Jesus' baptism in chapter 3 for an example of divine revelation of who Jesus is. Here, of course, in our reading today, we have the transfiguration. Jesus' clothes change to be dazzling, impossibly bright white, and he is talking with two long-dead major figures of the founding of Israel. And as when Jesus was in prayer after being baptized, a voice from a cloud calls him, my son, my chosen, and tells those present witnesses to listen to him. How good Lord that we are here, says Peter. The same Peter who days before, eight days, before had said in response to Jesus' question, who do you say I am? Peter said, the Messiah of God. There are multiple images used today to dress Jesus like Moses, some of which I'm sure you picked up on in our earlier Exodus reading. It's set on a mountain. There's a change in countenance, the cloud, and Jesus talking of his own exodus, which is translated in our NRSV as departure. Peter, James, and John get a vision, a brief experience of the realm of God in its full communion. But there's a lot they still don't understand, and who can? In a clergy text study the other night, one of the questions around this gospel lesson was, what does the kingdom of God look like? And there were a lot of answers like, I can live next door to such and such problem person, and it's okay. Reconcile, reconciliation of broken relationships. And everyone's needs are met so that there are no needs. These are all very good answers, all things that I agree with, all things I want for myself, that I want for you, even things that I want for the problem people that have hurt me, even if I'm not quite ready to forgive them. But I find it harder than usual to preach about Jesus's transfiguration, the glory, the hope, the awesomeness of those three disciples they got to witness and experience on the mountaintop. It's kind of difficult this year because this week has been filled with valley lows rather than mountain highs. Russia has invaded Ukraine. The sovereign borders of one nation have been violated by another's military. And civilians, not, mil not military personnel, as in any modern armed conflict, are the most likely to be injured and killed. And making its rounds on social media, more than I've ever seen it before, is a series of stills from what I might argue is one of the most important scenes of the old television series, MASH. Standing over the operating table, Hawkeye says, war isn't hell. War is war and hell is hell, and of the two, war is a lot worse. Father Mulcahy responds, how do you figure, Hawkeye? Easy, Father. Tell me, who goes to hell? Sinners, I believe. Exactly. 
There are no innocent bystanders in hell. War is chock full of them. Little kids, cripples, old ladies. In fact, except for some of the brass, almost everybody involved is an innocent bystander. Kyiv, Ukraine's capital city, is the birthplace of Christian orthodoxy. And Diana Butler Bass, a religious history scholar and author, wrote this week, the conflict in Ukraine is all about religion and what kind of orthodoxy will shape Eastern Europe and other orthodox communities around the world, especially in Africa. Religion. This is a crusade recapturing the holy land of Russian orthodoxy and defeating the westernized and decadent heretics who do not bend the knee to Moscow's spiritual authority. How do we imagine the fullness of God's realm realized when centers of religious and spiritual history are under violent attack? Like Kiev and Jerusalem and Palestine. Here at home, our neighbors in Texas are claiming that gender-affirming care for transgender kids is child abuse. False. Kids who are not affirmed in their identities and explorations of who they are have higher rates of depression, anxiety, and are several times more likely than their peers to attempt and thus complete suicide. I've seen this as a mental health counselor working with teens. I've seen this with adults in prison who were once teens denied love at home. I've seen this volunteering with crisis lines. Orthodox Rabbi Akiva Weisinger tweeted the following thread this week. For those wondering why I, an Orthodox rabbi, am outraged by the Texas trans law, aren't I supposed to stand up for Torah values or whatever? A thread. I don't like it when kids kill themselves. End of thread. And ELCA pastor Rachel Johnson posted, I can't help but think that, as the church celebrates Transfiguration Sunday, we ought to be more open to trans figures in our world. In the name of a God who transcends time, space, materiality, and gender, who transforms our hearts of stone, who transfigures their own face to reveal the glory of God, let me unequivocally denounce this new Texas directive against trans youth and families. Trans people are beloved by God. Trans people are made in God's transformational image. Trans people are expressions of divine crea creation and creativity. Trans people are holy. Trans people are our siblings and sisters and brothers. Trans people are our neighbors. Trans people are beloved. Hashtag protect trans kids. How do we hope to experience the fullness of God's realm if we continue to deny the transformative power of the divine in our own lives and the lives of our neighbors? In the past, on Transfiguration Sunday, I've preached about the awesomeness of the mountaintop experience Peter, James, and John got to experience. And I've talked about the mountaintop experiences that we have 
and then reminded us all that we can't live on the mountaintop in that thoroughly awesome and glorious moment. We need to come down from the mountaintop and join our neighbors in the dirt of life to work together for the good of all. We'll climb the mountain together, pray together, and witness the transfiguration together. But this year, almost two years into COVID, with new unholy war being waged and hate spewed at children, I am too exhausted to even imagine the mountaintop. In Luke's Gospel, prayer often precedes divine revelation. So this year, we pray where we are at in the valleys. We pray for the transforming power of the transfigured Jesus to be real and presently felt with us. And next year, we'll climb the mountain. Amen.